0: post your free job on linkedin.com/recommend today.
1: Welcome back into the Lions 24/7 podcast. Tyler Downey and Sean Fitz with you as always. We're joined this time around by our colleague Mark Brennan, decades of Penn State athletics coverage and of course the man on the basketball beat here at Lines 24-7. And what a week it has been on that basketball beat. As promised in episode one this week, we're going to shift some focus to the hoops uh, because there's a coaching change. There is a player exodus brewing with the transfer portal. We've talked a lot about the portal in football. You're going to hear about it with basketball. We will turn our attention later here in the episode back to spring football. We have some big picture topics that we all want to hit on, some names to know. Uh, Some players who are reaching very important stages of their individual careers, but Mark, as always, we seem to bring you in at turbulent times. I think last time was uh, maybe Micah Parsons' opt-out, and then the time before that, you had just turned. You were about to turn around on your way to cover Penn State at the Big Ten tournament in 2020. A year later, we're going from talking about Penn State breaking its NCAA tournament, uh, a disappearing act, to now totally shaking things up again third different coach in what a six-month span interim coach Jim Ferry is gone Micah Shrewsbury is in formerly most recently of Purdue I mean you must be still trying to catch your breath from what you've covered in the past few days
2: yeah it's been kind of crazy but I think we we sort of saw this coming you know if you rewind back to uh, Penn State basketball media day in November you know the, the players were really uh, you know the words they were using were hurt and disappointed uh by the way the, the 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 Pat Chambers era ended and you know i think there's a perception out there that they were simply uh ticked off that 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 chambers was was forced out back on october 20th but it wasn't just that it wasn't just that he was forced out it was the complete you know the the, the total lack of communication to them by the athletic department uh, with, with why he was forced out. They, they were never clear. Now it's completely understandable that the athletic department that Sandy Barber and Lynn Holler and, you know, Sandy Barber, the AD and Lynn Holler and the, the AD for basketball didn't go public to the press with you know why Chambers was forced out—just saying improper behavior or, or something like that. But the the players were 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 blindsided by it, and they never got a clear answer. They never got answers at all on on what happened, and if if to to hear some of them say it, including Jamari Wheeler, they felt as if they were misled. You know, Jamari Wheeler said back on media day that that on the day that Chambers was, was forced out, uh, that, leading up to that, that some of the players had gone to the athletic department and, and officials and, and asked, hey, what's going on here? They had a sense that something was kind of in the air. And they were they were told everything was all right and at that point of the interview he was cut off by athletic communications and when he finally came back, you know he de- politely declined to answer. And so at that point in November, they were basically saying they were playing for themselves, they were playing for chambers, they were playing for this year. So you had the sense that once this year was over, if if Ferry wasn't retained, That something was going to happen and and it ended up happening. Now, did did I think that it was going to be six guys entering the portal? I can't say I knew that, but I knew there was going to be a bunch of people. I think everybody realized there were going to be a bunch of people entering the portal. The question now is how many of them stay there? You know, do they give Michael Shrewsbury a chance? Now, one of the questions I got, and I'm sorry for rambling on here, but there's a lot to cover here, is well, why didn't these guys wait? You know, why didn't they wait till Shrewsbury gets here? You know, he's staying with Purdue through the NCAA tournament. Why didn't they wait till Shrewsbury gets here? Well, number one, let's not be critical of Shrewsbury because if Penn State were on the other end of this, you wouldn't want your top assistant leaving before the NCAA tournament. And number two, let's not be critical of the players. In this new era, you're having hundreds, if not thousands of players enter that transfer portal. And for these guys, the sooner they get in there, the better. The last thing they want to do is lose an opportunity. I mean, if you wait a week, that the, the, that could be opportunities lost for these players. So they're putting Penn State put itself into in, it, in the position that it's protect, protecting itself. Shrewsbury's doing what's right by Purdue on the way out, and a coach Matt Painter, who's done a lot for him. And the players are doing what's best for them. So let's see how it all plays out. Sorry I rambled on there, but there was a lot, there's there's a lot to cover with that.
1: There is a lot to cover. <laughs> Yeah, I
2: think the question would be, why wouldn't you do that? I mean, that that is
1: right.
3: certainly a situation where if you feel sort of betrayed, as they have it, and this isn't a situation where you haven't had to follow it that closely to realize that this team was playing for themselves for Jim Ferry, not for that administration. I mean, that's no secret whatsoever. Back to yeah, as you said, when when Chambers was let go, forced out. Um, but this is this is something where you've got to cover your own bases here. I mean, you're, you're looking out for yourself, and and that's really the only the only way that you can look at it now it's not about Shrewsbury. I think that's the point that you got to make here is it's not about these guys don't want to play for Shrewsbury. So he's going to have to make his decision whether he wants all these guys that are going in to the portal or not. And, you know, some of it's debatable, some of it's de- definitely guys you want back, but it's a situation where you have to separate these two things. These guys are, have got to get out there. They got to see what the market is. Uh, Dushan London has been doing a lot of stuff for us, catching up with these guys to see what the market and it's very, all over the place, you know. This uh, Myrian Jones isn't coming back. I mean, he's got uh, plenty of options out there. That you know, it, whether that translates into the scholarship offers or not, um, but he's going to go. I think up a level. But you've got a guy like Trent Bruttrick who's getting out there and getting, uh, for lack of a better term, lower major, mm-hmm. lower mid-major type of you know, interest. Maybe that's a situation where you don't want to back. But I think it's going to be all over the place. But I think Shrewsbury is going to have a chance to, to get these guys back, get the guys that he wants back. Whether that happens or not, it's hard to say. You know, it sounds like Wheeler's gone as well. But uh, uh Dread, and 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 possibly John Harr, you know, you've got these guys that are – critical point you know, critical players in in this nucleus that you're trying to bring back, which wasn't a bad team. I mean, it wasn't an NCAA tournament team by any stretch, but you could you could see the pieces that you could get back and potentially make a, some sort of run next year. So I, I think that that's really the the next step in this number one, separate all the Shrewsbury stuff from the chamber stuff from the player stuff, and then just move forward. And, and I agree with you hundred percent. I mean, he, he should not pass up an opportunity to coach in the NCAA tournament because not only is that doing right by Purdue doing right by Matt Painter, but you're also giving yourself a chance to get some more experience in the NCAA tournament and Penn state wants to get there. You're going to, you're going to lean on that at some point.
2: Yeah, and we we also have to remember. I'm sorry, Tyler, but we also have to remember that that the the transfer portal is a two way street. Uh, you, you just don't lose guys. I mean, I mean, you think Shrewsbury doesn't isn't going to have his finger on the pulse of everybody who is in in that portal. And that well, you can won't make a, be guys. you can make a
3: bigger impact in basketball in the portal than you can in football. And that's, right. I mean, that's free agency, right? That's even more free agency than football. And you would be foolish to think that that's not how they're going to plug these gaps. I mean, he's not going to come in and bring in five freshmen that are going to start next year. You're going to bring in guys that can, that have already done it at the division one level.
2: But having said all that, it's completely understandable that Penn state fans were freaking out about this a little bit because they've never seen it. I mean, it's it's almost like when uh when, when uh Franklin took over the coaching staff for the football team and there started to be coaching turnover. Everybody's like, oh my God, they're they're losing the offensive court, and oh my god, this is happening. And it's like, people, this is what happens uh, uh everywhere else. So it's it's give this some time to play out. You know, is this the ideal situation? I can't say it's the ideal situation, but I don't think it's as bad as, as a lot of people are painting it to be. The other thing I would say is that as you're looking at all these people and all these kids entering the transfer portal now, next year isn't the pivotal year for this team. Two years from now isn't the pivotal year. It's going to be about three seasons, like next year, a year, and then that following season I think is when you're going to start to see the impact of Shrewsbury. And that's where I, I think, so listen, it, would it be great if John Harris comes back? I think, yeah, it would be, you know, ultimate team guy who does a lot of good things. Would it be great if Dredd comes back? Yes. I, I think it would be good if some of these guys come back, but ultimately it's not going to make a difference three years from now. If any of these guys come back or don't come back, he's got to set the right foundation. Number one, he's, he has to have guys who want to be here and if if they don't want to be here he's better off with them not being here and going out and getting guys who who do want to be here
1: Mark, you did a nice job piecing together that, that hot board for the coaching candidates and, and keeping that updated uh, leading up to this actual hire. Sandy Barber had mentioned during the winter that they were looking to make a quick hire after the season wrapped up, and it was within you know, 48 hours or so of, of Penn State finishing off in the second round of the Big Ten tournament with a loss and then not being involved in the NIT, 11-14. Uh, and 14. I guess the two-part question here for you is, Micah Shrewsbury. Why does this make sense from Penn State's perspective, from his perspective, a guy who has a couple stints with Purdue, um, a Brad Stevens assistant at the college level and then with the Boston Celtics and Jim Ferry, a guy who was dealt a very interesting hand for this season. Do you feel like he was legitimately considered as the head coach moving forward?
2: yeah uh the second part first uh, I I don't think Jim Ferry was ever really considered you know I think Sandy Barber gave lip service to that and I understand where she was coming from. I feel bad for Jim because he's a good guy and and the people on his staff not good a great person. I mean they, they are really good people and they did an unbelievable job of holding the team together. you know this thing could have exploded back in October. I mean, guys could have transferred then because you you could have done it. I mean, they could have just been been out of here and to do what they did and ferry not politicking for the job, putting the team first, putting the players first, complete class act, uh, same for his staff, did an unbelievable job. Can't say anything but positives. The difficult part would have been going through what they went through at the end of the chambers era. Yeah, you know, I, I think she just wanted to make a clean break. She never said that, uh, but that was just the. I think they wanted to go in a completely different direction, and, and that's what they did. And in, so, in terms of Shrewsbury, it's a completely different direction. I think you hit on the, you know, two of the key things. Brad Stevens, Matt Painter, to me, are two of the best basketball coaches in the world. I mean, I hate the Boston Celtics. I'm a Sixers fan, but you can't argue with what that guy did at Butler with Shrewsbury with him. And when you when you look at what Painter does at Purdue year in and year out, just two fantastic coaches. So to be able to get somebody who has been with both of them for an extended period of time, extended periods of times, multiple stints with both guys, uh, given the financial restraints that Penn State has put on, on itself, now that could be a debate for – that. that could be a whole different debate – but for what they were willing to pay, I think they got about as good a candidate as they were going to get. And the, um, the impression that Shrewsbury made immediately, you know, doing a YouTube video and those sorts of things. You know, his wife gets on YouTube. I think all that stuff was it just came across fantastically. I, I think Penn State dropped the ball. By not attempting to have some sort of media availability with Shrewsbury for twenty minutes or a half hour. I don't know why you couldn't have done that via uh, you know, via zoom or 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 something else. Um, Monday, everything was positive, 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 and I think that could have deflected a little bit of the negative that everybody had to know was coming the next day. I think that they they should have done that. And I'm not saying that from a media perspective, I get nobody cares about us. But I think, in terms of their branding and image and everything else, I think that that would have been a much better way to go. The other guy that was that that I'm getting was most seriously involved uh, was Dennis Gates from Cleveland State. And when you look at what he did at Cleveland State, you know, a program that imploded after Dennis Felton left uh, last season, not this season that we just went through. Prior to that, he was the last coach hired for the uh, 2019-20 season. All these players left Cleveland State. He was named uh, Horizon League co-coach of the year after winning seven games two years ago. And then they win the Horizon League this year and go to the NCAA tournament this year. Longtime assistant under Leonard Hamilton at, at Florida State. You know, a guy who just has a great reputation, great academic reputation. So I think those are the final two guys. Don't think they could have gone wrong with either of them. But I think uh, to me, given everything that was in play, I think Shrewsbury was a home run grand slam type of hire for Penn State. I I don't think they could have gotten better given anything, everything that was in play. I think an
3: interesting dynamic there is, as we heard Gates was involved, um, if if you're bringing in an assistant coach uh, like you did with Shrewsbury, now he's got to put together his own staff, which that's a very interesting dynamic to me is because you can, you know, if you hired from Cleveland State, you would bring in essentially the Cleveland State staff. That's typically how it goes. So he's going to get a chance to build his own staff. We've seen a lot of buzz this week in, in terms of uh, support from MBA people, which let, let's be honest, have you heard more about Penn State from MBA circles than you have this week? I mean, ever? I mean, that's no. been that's been a really interesting uh, dynamic to it. Uh, but you've got uh, you got a chance to maybe bring in a Philly guy. You got a chance to maybe bring in a guy with program ties, and I think it's a, a clean slate for for a guy to bring in a guy like that. I think there's. Some interesting possibilities there. I don't know that it's he's going to knock it out. I don't know what his uh, uh, budget is going to be like. That's always been an issue with Penn State basketball is 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 hiring assistant coaches and paying them market value. Is that something where he got what he wanted in his in his negotiations? I think there's a lot of pieces in play here that are very interesting to not only see from the coaching side, from the recruiting side, but also from the administrative side. This is a, a an athletic department that really has never. Stump for basketball. It's never been a basketball school. It's never been anything close to a basketball school. So it'll be interesting to see the investment side of things.
2: Yeah, I would also say that I was extremely critical of Sandy Barber for the way she handled uh, the chamber's exit. You know, don't, don't, don't understand why it took three months to do an investigation into something they never even told us about. I mean, I, I think we have some suspicions, but I'm not going to get into that. I'm not going to speculate. And then not being upfront to some extent with the players, I don't. They couldn't have told them everything, but at the very least, I, I think the players should not have come out of that feeling as if they were misled. So I was very critical on that front. But I think you can't be anything but positive and give her and Lynn Holleran and everybody involved the uh, you know the the search whatever the search committee or the company that helped them with it. To be able to identify Shrewsbury and then be able to hire them that quickly before anybody else could get to them, all the credit in the world to them for being able to do that. They, they came from a di- very difficult situation that I think they kind of put themselves in and were able to get themselves out of it. Uh, and that's why I say, you know, with the whole transfer portal thing, give this some time. And I think I think this is going to end up long term. I think it's going to be a good thing for Penn State. Again, I feel bad for all the coaches who were there good people guys who did a great job guys who put the team first but it's you know it's, it's what you have in college sports anymore a lot of turnover uh so you know big picture i think this is going to be a good thing for penn state
1: mark before we dive into spring football talk and that's coming up in just a matter of minutes um big picture you said you know, this is maybe a three-year plan to see what exactly you have with micah shrewsbury There's been a lot of, I would say, puzzlement about this Penn State basketball program and what it's going to take to get it to a a different status. Ten years now separating it from the most recent NCAA tournament berth. Two years of the last three under chambers, 20 plus wins at NIT championship and what looked like an NCAA berth waiting to happen last year. Where we stand now in mid-March of 2021, what is the most essentially key ingredient to really putting this thing, uh, in a, in a forward momentum phase.
2: Consistently strong recruiting. I think that's what it comes down to. I think if you look at the team this year, you know, what you saw is that they had a, 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 a wave or a high of, of really good recruiting, you know, with Tony Carr and Lamar, you know, topped by Tony Carr and Lamar Stevens that put them into a position to win the NIT and then with Lamar Stevens to, 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 they should have gone to the NCAA tournament last year, Uh, but they didn't do it consistently. Uh, You have to, you, it's like anything. I mean, you have to recruit, recruit well, consistently. When you look at what they put out on the floor this year, you know, to, to not have a legitimate big guy, other than Hara, I mean, I, I I just don't know how that's that happens. You, you have to you have to recruit better than that, you know. Um, so that that to me is, is what you have to do. You know, it's great to be able to recruit you know a bunch of guards who are maybe a little bit undersized and who are who are really good, but you have to recruit all positions really well consistently. You don't have to recruit NBA players. I mean, we see that at places like. Uh, Wisconsin we see it at places like Purdue I mean it's not as if Purdue that don't get me wrong Purdue has players in the NBA but it's not the it, it's not that that's not Duke that's not Kentucky you know you see it at Iowa you there are places where you can just recruit real well consistently and get to the NCAA tournament frequently and that's that that to me is the key
3: Penn state needs a Robbie humble that can come in and play for nine years and be an
2: all American hey, for, for six that, of
3: them. So, um, that would that, help. And, and you include the portal in that too, is, is this is yeah. a, this is an era when you can come in, we've talked about quarterback portaling and defensive end portaling and, and sort of put m- maybe more the defensive end category. Cause Franklin came out and said that right away that, Hey, we have a big need at d- the defensive end. He can do that. He can put those needs out there and say, Hey, we're looking for a guy like this that can come in could be a score, it can be a rebound, or whatever, whatever it be, and you can publicize that and make it known, and sort of make yourself a destination. And say, hey we've got spots where there's, we had a bunch of guys leave. If, if that comes true, I mean, you're still waiting on guys like Brockington and Lundy or obviously big decisions, Hara as well. Um, but you, you've got a chance to get out there and, and sort of make a quick fix. And I know that that might not be the biggest thing for uh, year three, um, but you, you have an opportunity to get in there and fix this probably quicker than you would have been able to do five or 10 years ago.
1: Well, a lot there from two guys who have done their own damage on the basketball courts here at, at Penn State University. Mark Brennan and Sean Fitz. If you guys are ready, I thought we could turn the page, uh, get to a quick commercial break, and, and jump into some football conversation.
3: For sure. Yeah, I guess we can do football now. That's great. All now right. the now the Penn State basketball is off the table. We can do football and get you know get into the secondary comment uh, comments. <laughs>
1: there you go. Well, basketball coverage always from Mark Brennan up on lines twenty Um, So stay tuned with that. A lot of player movement to come, no doubt about it, in the weeks and months ahead. Uh, Right around the corner, football talk. Stay with us here on the Lions 24-7 podcast.
3: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds.
1: Switching back over to some spring football talk here in the Lions 24-7 podcast with Sean Fitz, Mark Brennan, and myself, Tyler Donahue. Um, We we covered some early bases in Episode 1 this week as as spring practices opened up on Monday. There's 15 practice periods. We do have uh, now some clarity on practice number 15, or as as you may know it, the blue-white game. Uh, Penn State announcing on Wednesday that it's going to be uh, a scrimmage that is open to first-year students. Uh, there will not be general fan admission. We are still waiting on the verdict for what it means for us covering the team from a media perspective. But, um, Mark, Sean, uh, second consecutive year, the Blue-White game festivities will not transpire in, uh, here in Happy Valley.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm crushed that uh, there's not going to be. No, I, I don't know. I mean, it's always fun. Uh, I used to actually, and Sean, you were around for this for a little bit. Um, I used to get way more out of the coaches clinic scrimmage. Uh, and that's something for all the, the youngsters out there that they used to, they used to hold a coaches clinic every spring for high school coaches around the state and well around the country, really. And they would come in and then uh, at the end of that uh, clinic, they would have a scrimmage at Beaver stadium and the media would be allowed in. And, you know, there were certain rules about what you could and couldn't report, but that was really much more informative than the blue-white game ever was because you could really get a a sense for the depth chart and who was where and and that sort of thing. Whereas the blue-white game, especially, you know, in recent years when they were loading it up with the starters on one team and the backups on, on another team, you weren't really getting that much out of. And and James Franklin said as much. He said this is basically giving them one more legitimate practice. Now, we'll see if it's actually a legitimate practice with all these young students in in the stands. Uh, But the blue-white game was great for fans. Uh, It was good to go and get a bunch of photos and stuff, but I don't know how telling it ever was. Oh no,
3: we never really got too much out of it or or otherwise Paul Jones and Shawnee Kersey would have been all Americans. So it's not really a situation where we're hurting for the, uh, the, the content of the actual football, but it was always a nice thing to get out there. And, you know, when, when the weather was nice, it was fantastic for the fans. And I know that they're aiming to get to get back to that atmosphere in the fall, but, uh, just not happening yet. So, I mean, it's cool that they're bringing in those, uh, those freshmen, uh, feel, feel good for them. But, uh, I think there's a lot of people that are not going to be too happy with this decision. And, and I think that's probably justified as well. Um, you know, it's, it's the same thing with everything else in the last year. You just got to take it as it comes and take it with a grain of salt and get back to the real stuff, which will come several months from now, which is, you know, kind of the premise of the blue white game anyway, <laughs> is, is just to take this and, uh, take it for what it is and, and, and wait for the the real stuff in the fall.
2: The uh, well, one bye. thing I one thing I would say, Tyler, is that um, not having the general public, I, I maybe people will be mad at me for this, but I, I don't think you want fifty thousand people coming into Center County from outside at this time. Let's wait until we get everything settled for everybody. And isn't it better off to be able to get one hundred and six thousand in in September? That to me is the bigger thing. Penn State went to, to, uh, which I think was a really smart move, started the spring semester late. So they didn't have, there's no spring break, which I think when you look at what's going on around the country, I think it ended up being a really smart thing. So you're not having students leave and then come back. So I just think kind of keeping it, you know, local is, is a good thing. Now you could argue why would they pick just the freshmen, not other students? To Me, I think it's okay that they're just letting a freshman in, but I may be a little bit biased. We
3: we don't have the I kind think, of energy to get to get upset about it, as yeah, is what exactly. you're saying. Yeah,
1: I think we know why. They're they're abiding by the law that a Brennan must be in Beaver Stadium for any kind of spring scrimmage if there is one. And so it might not be you, but maybe that freshman class will be represented by, we'll by see. team. Yeah, we'll we'll find out. And and I'm with you. I hope when ball state rolls into town September 11th of this of this year. That there's a, a ton of people in and around Beaver Stadium, and it starts to feel like it used to. Um, and and it, it, 2019 just seems like a long time ago uh, after this experience. It, uh, Beaver Stadium was a weird place to be throughout this past 2020 season, as you guys can attest to. Um, and one other thing. For me, I felt like once the NCAA extended that emergency recruiting dead period through May – effectively throwing that blanket on top of, uh, of any spring ball, any spring practice or any blue-white game kind of uh, extravaganza you could throw. To me, that, that really you, – you lose a lot of the aspect of it being incentivized for James Franklin and the football program. I mean, a couple of years ago when the official visit started in the spring, I mean, they had a ton of, of really crucial visitors on campus for that blue-white weekend That wasn't going to be a part of the element this year. And to me, you know, Sean, you can probably speak on this a a bit more. You yank away the recruiting aspect of the blue-white game, and, and all of a sudden it loses a lot of its value.
3: I think it's a lot less appealing for us. And we, you know, as you mentioned when they started those official visits that really, you know, made it even more of a priority for us for, for covering that. But I think we spent enough time on the blue white game, as we said, not, we don't quite have the energy to be offended by uh, (laughs) anything. anything. So um, now it's, I think getting into spring ball, it's a very interesting spring. We talked about that on the first episode, um, but there's a few storylines that have picked up Um, you guys. I, I I cede the floor to you because number one is is quite obvious, Tyler. I know that that's something that we've talked about uh, a bunch. We're going to talk about it a bunch in the uh, the coming months, but it's all going to come back to the quarterback.
1: Yeah, the, I mean, Mark Mark is is going to be constructing these and getting on the site next week. I believe some roundtable text discussions that that Sean and myself and Mark have had. Um, but we're going to also address them here. And the key storyline on offense, I, you have to focus in on this quarterback room and. Deshaun's point, it feels like we circle back to that room at least once a week, if not twice a week on this show. Um, and, and it's not just the Sean Clifford storyline, which is in and of itself is inter- interesting. A, a guy that's going to be 23 years old before you kick off next. Guy who started 20 games at, at the at the college level for Penn State. It's more so everything else that's going on in that room. Taequann Roberson, uh, Christian Bayou, and everything that's not going on in that room at, at this point. No transfer no other freshman is coming to town it's it's Christian Bayou as your newcomer it's Taekwan Robertson as this as this kind of wild card mystery factor that we haven't seen in live action in 2 years and then Sean Clifford who who a lot of what we've seen has been you know fallen short of expectations particularly when you're talking about a program that has been very adamant about taking a step up in the college football tier so to me uh, either side of the ball um, quarterback's probably always a, a buzzy spot to look at in spring ball, regardless of the program you're covering. Here at Penn State, it, it just feels like so much is riding on what's going to happen and with that room. And James Franklin clearly understands that with a, you know a very, very splashy move, ditching Kirk Sciarocca, bringing in Mike Yursich in one fell swoop back in January.
2: I think the key is how do you pronounce Vayu? I mean, we... that is
1: the mystery. That's the greatest <laughs> Christian Veiu has told us it's pronounced Veyu. Apparently, he has also told people it's pronounced Veyer. Dwight Galt told us it's pronounced Veyer last week. This week, James Franklin called him Christian Veyu. Hopefully, he gives us all a reason to say his name quite a bit and figure that out. We're still trying to figure out Drew Alar, Aller, Aller. Uh, so we got a lot to, to work through. Bo Perbula, thank you for keeping things very neat and tidy for us.
2: I'm going with whatever Deej says, because, you know, the kid <laughs> The kid may have walked in and Deej may have said, this is how we're pronouncing your name. And and, and and that's that. But, you know, on a serious note, obviously, the quarterback end of it is gigantic. But I think, you know, just the broader perspective of Yursich uh, coming in, and being able to have a spring ball is, is gigantic. I don't know about you guys, but I really, I did not understand the impact that not having spring ball with a new coordinator under Shiraka last year was going to have. And I think when the season finally got here and it took them however many games, it's like, wow, it, it really hit home how big it is to, to to be able to do that when you have a new OC. And then last year they had a new O-line coach and he had a new wide receivers coach this year for Yurcich to be able to work not only with the quarterbacks, but with everybody else. And, you know, every call that we've been on so far, you know, with Dwight Galt, with Sider, with Franklin, you know, they have been talking about the impact that Yurcich is making and for him to be able to do that in the spring I think that's just gigantic, but it obviously starts with the quarterback room and and you know uh, are they able to get Sean Clifford back to where Sean Clifford was a couple years ago? Because clearly last year was a was a pretty significant step back for him. And yeah.
1: oh, oh, by the way, you mentioned all the 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 lack of the spring, the spring ball, the change in offensive coordinator, and then you yank out two of the top running backs in the Big Ten just as you're getting going as an offense. And you're right. It really just it looked like a team that was should have been playing preseason football, but actually was playing Big Ten football for much of the way.
3: Against two of the best, uh, two of the four best teams in the Big Ten uh, right off the bat. So it's uh, so fragmented last year. And I agree with that because you brought in a new offensive line coach, a new receivers coach, and uh, just n- seemed to be no continuity with the coaching staff, with the players, whatever. It's not worth rehashing, but it's uh, there's several challenges that you could have worked through. I think you could have worked through a bunch of that in an offseason last year. They didn't get that. So I agree with Mark. Just bringing in Yersic, getting all those guys on the same page uh is really immeasurable at this point. My third uh hanger-on in terms of the the key storyline, curious about this interior offensive line. And I know that all the all the attention is going to be on the skill guys and the quarterbacks and the new offense and everything, but Eric Wilson's coming in at the end of spring. So he doesn't get a chance to to get out there and work with uh with the Phil Trout line or the rest of the offensive line. So that's a pretty good opportunity for a guy like Des Holmes guy like juice Scruggs. Uh, Mike, Mike Miranda is going to move into center. So those three guys have an opportunity to grab a job before Wilson gets here. Uh, Wilson's obviously not coming in to be a depth guy. I mean, this is something that we've seen from the transfers before. Uh, it's, it's, it's an opportunity for him to, to grab it and go and start. And, uh, you know, that's the same thing can be said for, for Holmes and Scruggs at this point. So I, I think that's a very interesting, probably an overlooked dynamic of this this offensive uh uh football team in the spring. Is you got a chance to go out there and win a job and put yourself in a position before Wilson gets here to 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 be a starter.
1: I don't know about you guys, but you mentioned Juice Scruggs and there's probably very few players on this Penn State roster that I'm looking forward to seeing play more extensively in 2021 than juice Scruggs. He was further along than what I thought we might see as he got more action and things progressed during that final month of the 2020 season. And you started to remind yourself, okay, this was the top rated lineman out of the state of Pennsylvania and his recruiting class. He's just somebody that I think if he goes out there and can play at that caliber, he's going to have to, to always, the self-maintenance is going to be crucial for him that that's never going to go away because of the back issue but if he can go out there and string it together guys he, that's a difference making addition to the offensive front I think
2: yeah I actually um I, I was able to get up before practice uh on Monday and, and take some photos of of guys as they were going in and you know I know some people um think it's kind of crazy but the, the look test. I mean, to see juice now to where he was when he, after the car accident and he was injured and wasn't able to work out, he's looking more and more kind of Urschel Like he's looking more and more like a, like an interior offensive lineman. Like when you would see him even last year, he still looked kind of thin for an offensive lineman, not then compared to a normal human being. Uh, but yeah, he is looking put together and, When you look at the way things kind of unfolded last year, I think the ability to get guys like Juice Scruggs uh, snaps and Caden Wallace, you know, time as a starter, as difficult as it was to finish with a non-winning record, to be able to get some of those young offensive linemen, uh, all the snaps they got without losing eligibility, that to me was pretty big. Yeah, you're going to benefit from that, no
3: doubt. And uh, you, like I said, you you've got a chance to bolster your depth with a guy like Wilson, whether he's a starter or whether he's a, a depth guy. But it also gives you some flexibility with a guy like Des Holmes, who's played tackle. You're not sure where that depth at tackle is going to come from if, if Olu fashanu can step up, if Bryce After can be a guy, or even Landon Tengwall can can uh, move into that role. So you give yourself a little bit more flexibility by having having Des Holmes sort of as a swing guy in that situation.
2: Yeah. And Sean uh, Franklin mentioned Nate Bruce actually as an interior guy, which I, I don't know. I thought maybe he might be a, a tackle, but if he, you know, could he be in the mix? It, it, we've heard good things about him. Right. I mean, I think uh,
3: Bruce is a, to me, is an interior guy all the way, but it's, okay. it's a situation where. He's so raw. Like everything he does is so raw. And I just you—you you brought in a guy like Golden Achumba last year. Nick Dawkins is in the interior. Uh, maybe Ibrahim Traore is a, a swing guy. But you, you know, first first step up is passing. Those guys are trying to pass. Those guys. Bruce has done some phenomenal things since he's been here. But at the same time, he's still a true freshman offensive lineman. You know as well as I know that that's a very very tough uh, situation to step into as a true freshman. I think Tangwall is a rare guy that can do it. I think Bruce is probably. A little bit behind that, so I think that you know you've you've got an opportunity to build out that room. Um, he only took two last year, which is probably not ideal, but you were able to get Wilson in there, so it's it's an opportunity for them to to build out that depth at both spots, the interior and the tackle. But I still think Tangwall's a guy that you look to as as a potential uh, maybe a potential two deep guy, which in the spring of his freshman year or, or his <laughs> I guess this is senior year of high school, that's certainly a good place to be in.
1: That validates recruiting a kid for three years, doesn't it? To to get that kind of return. Um, And by the way, Mark was posted up over at the practice facilities on Monday. Like he said, a bunch of pictures up online, 24 seven right now, all the freshmen, the third year variety freshmen, the second year variety freshmen, the early enrolled freshmen, take your pick, the transfers, all of them out there, in Penn state uniforms. And it's pretty incredible to see the physical transformation of some of those 2022 or 2020 guys and also just how how ready to roll some of these 2021s already look. Uh, switching over to the defensive side of the football, uh, when you're searching for storylines, I think that they're they're pretty easy to identify. And I think linebacker is the easy spot where you kind of circle collectively and say, this needs to be better if Penn State's really going to go out and make some noise. And you should have the ingredients to organically produce that kind of an upward trajectory because of the way this program has recruited at the position. You lost a guy who was evaluated as a five-star prospect uh, a couple of years ago and Lance Dixon didn't pan out for him here at Penn State, didn't really see extensive action or capitalize on it. He's at West Virginia now. You you like what you saw out of Brandon Smith, though, another five-star who came in with that 2019 class. You throw in Curtis Jacobs from the 2020 class who, I mean, you heard it on this podcast time and time again, viewed him as the best player in that class. He got a five-star designation too. So to me, it's those two guys. How big of a step can they take forward? Smith in year three. Uh, and, and then you've got Jacobs in year two. Sure, there's a lot still riding. Middle linebacker, you're looking at uh, at, at Ellis Brooks. Got to be better. Jesse Lucetta, not involved this spring right now. He's going to push for that role. He was in the starting lineup. But as things get shuffled and Brent Price sorts through, there's other names to know, but those are the two that stand out. Brandon Smith, Curtis Jacobs, because either one could make that kind of a, a star leap. And totally, you know, rebrand what this defense represents.
2: Yeah, I think there is probably a reason Lance Dixon decided to transfer, and you know, this isn't a knock on Lance Dixon, but I think he saw kind of what was coming up behind him, uh, yeah, in in Jacob. So those are those are two uh, big guys. You know, my key storyline is whether they can. Figure out a way to start generating more turnovers over on defense. You know, this is an area what they had, nobody had more than one pick last year, if I'm not incorrect. Uh, and just were not generating those takeaways the way that the top defenses do. And, and that's kind of been, you know, par for the course under Pry. You know, they do so many things so well. I just think with with the the level of athletes they have, especially in the secondary now. Just have to be able to generate more turnover. So how do you how do you go about doing that? You know, do you have guys working on the jugs gun, or what do you do? Because it seemed as if last year and the last couple of years there have been opportunities, but how many times have we seen guys? You know, a football go through their hands, even with Micah Parsons. I mean, two or three times during his final year here. Uh, just could not hold on to the ball. So I think they really have to get dialed in and be able to get some of those turnovers. Not sure exactly how you go about it, but I'm guessing that that's something that they're really working on in the spring.
3: I think you have the ability to be a little bit more aggressive with the corners. And that's, I mean, your deepest spot by far on defense. And I think that that's really a spot where you've got some flexibility. Can you move uh, one of those guys inside, play a little nickel star, whatever you want to call it, where you get three corners on the field more so, or do you get three corners on the field and one safety? I mean, you've, you've certainly got issues at safety. That's my spring storyline is who's going to start beside Jaquan Brisker. As we mentioned earlier this week, Brisker coming back. I mean, where would this group be without it? uh, that's that's tough to say and it's tough to stomach really uh, I think john sutherland's there right now is he the long-term answer i don't know we haven't seen anything from him that would indicate that he's uh, he's a long-term impact guy uh Jair brown Tyler Rudolph uh it, it, you've you've got questions about all these guys and whether or not they can they can be that guy so I'm curious can you find a starter in the spring probably not this is probably something that goes into august uh, but it's certainly one of the biggest if not the biggest thing you've got to nail down on defense.
1: Are either of you surprised that entering spring camp, we'll see what it looks like exiting spring camp, that that cornerback room has been untouched when it comes to maybe producing more at safety. It's I, I looked at Sean's projected depth chart earlier this week, and I see this big pile of names at cornerback, and it's pretty darn impressive, that group. You go to safety, and all of a sudden, your stomach drops a little bit, and you're picturing, how's this going to sort itself out when you're going up against some of these premier playmakers in the Big Ten? How are you going to stay afloat? are you surprised at all that we haven't seen even one transition at this stage of the off season? A little bit.
3: Uh, I think Keaton Ellis is a guy that you we've circled in the off season as a potential safety. So I think that, I think it's going to come into uh, play that Penn state's going to try and do some different things, whether it, yeah, I think they'll probably stop short of moving a guy full-time. They did that with Trent Gordon last year and didn't have any impact whatsoever. So do you keep those guys at cornerback and just adjust your schemes? I think that's probably the way that they're going to go with it.
2: Well, and isn't that what we see in the NFL so much, where you have that slot corner, you know, the guy who's able to do different things. So I think you you, you can do that. And they're fortunate that they have some bigger-bodied cornerbacks Like Keaton Ellis, like Castro Fields, who who would be comfortable doing that? I mean, Keaton Ellis, obviously, I'm biased because I'm a state college guy, uh, but you know he's done a nice job creating turnovers the last couple years, and uh, I think you could really move him a lot of different places.
1: Players to watch there at this stage of the year, you're looking to watch every player, and we wish we could in person. Uh, Hopefully that happens this summer, perhaps not going to happen this spring. We won't be on the practice field, but there's a lot to learn about this roster. So many guys carrying that freshman status um, and and the team has changed in in remarkable ways since 2019. Um, Where are we starting here? Let's go offense. Uh, Kind of looking beyond the starting lineup here and some of the more obvious answers, these players to watch. I, I, my sight line lands on Theo Johnson because of the, the way I think he could be an X factor for this offense. I think you have a lot of faith right now, in, in Brenton Strange as the starter at tight end. Uh, you know, did some really good things. Is, is he replacing Pat Fryermuth fully? Well, he's got a long way to go to, to live up to that. But he did a very nice job representing himself early in his career um, you know, with Pat Fryermuth out at midseason last year. Um, to me, though, Theo Johnson and Sean and I talked. About about this a few weeks ago, uh, Mark, is he seemed to flash more considerably as a true freshman than his stat sheet would suggest. He didn't come away with you know an impressive number of catches or a few touchdowns. To me, that's probably a statement about the physicality that he showcased in his first year. And he's a guy that wouldn't have participated in spring ball last year, period, even if, you know, if, if the pandemic never rolls through, he's still not a full participant because of the shoulder issue that he had coming to campus for him to come in a spring. Now uh, I, I fully expect that that he's going to go out there and have an opportunity to, to, to work his, I mean, to work his way into the, the fabric of this offensive plan and I, I, you know, two tight end sets. I don't think they're going anywhere for Penn state. And to me in year number two, Theo Johnson could really show why he was so heavily pursued in that 2020 recruiting class?
2: Yeah, I don't think people realize how how big that kid is. I mean, he's six six. What do I have at? Two fifty 250 something. Two fifty three. Uh, he is a huge guy and moves extremely well. So clearly, he's a guy to watch. My guy is uh, Take Roberson, and I, I only think you need to look at Sean Clifford. The amount of times that they run him. Now, will he run as much under your sitch? I doubt it. But just that second, I mean, that number two quarterback has to be ready to go. And, you know, Taekwon Roberson, we've seen so little of him that I think it's just imperative that he's able to step up and and be ready. Uh, Now, you're looking at a 5'11, you know, 200 pound guy. And people may say, well, can a 5'11", 200-pound guy get it done at this level? Trace McSorley did did pretty well. I'm not saying he's the next Trace McSorley, but I would not worry about his measurables. I'd worry about how he's able to handle things when he gets out there under center. Uh, is he cool under pressure? Can he do all those things? That's going to be the key. But to, So to, to me, getting One Roberson where he needs to be to be ready to go, should something happen to Clifford, I think that that's really imperative this spring. And he's never done it.
3: I mean, he's, he missed last spring, didn't have uh, all that opportunity to do it. Uh, was behind Will Levis, so I, I just it's such a huge spring for him. It would have been a big offseason for him last year, but it's such a huge spring for him. I have a couple of guys here at kind of at opposite, not opposite ends of the depth chart, but. I think John Lovett has a huge opportunity this spring to uh, establish himself as a guy that can get carries right away. And with Noah Kane out, it's uh, this is something we talked about in the first episode this week. But with Noah Kane out, somebody's going to step up there, and I think Lovett uh, has shown that he can be a solid guy, that he can be a, a reliable guy. And if he can do that, then you know that that he can put some distance between himself and some of those younger guys. If that's if that's what happens, so I'm looking at him. I'm also looking at Malik Mega. Just more from a curiosity standpoint, because you look at those receivers, you like what you got in the front line, but there's a pretty big gap between those guys and, you know, four, five, six. Can Mega be one of those four, five, six? I think it was, uh, I think it's certainly possible. Ton of talent, but ton of raw talent. Uh, he's just not there yet in terms of uh, what he can do on the, on the actual game field. So uh, they love him. They think that they think he's, he can develop into uh, a frontline starter in, in the big 10. Is he there yet? Probably not, but it'll be fun to watch them grow.
1: I'll tell you what, I've said it before, those wide receivers, that whole group really beyond the starting lineup, and that includes the veterans, and that includes these second-year players like Mega, this is an opportunity for them to take advantage of in the spring because this freshman class coming in, I think particularly with Clifford and Lonnie White, we'll see with Harrison Wallace, I think they are kind of primed to make a charge in preseason camp. Um, Parker Washington cases don't happen every single year where a guy comes out and, and takes the team by storm and goes out and produces like that. But I wouldn't be surprised if one of those guys exists in this class, that wide receiver. So big opportunity for them. And Roberson, I think is, is, is on the nose that the, the primary guy, Mark, it's not just about what's ahead of him with Sean Clifford and Penn state's need to, to go to a QB two because of an injury or because of performance-based issues. It's, it's also about what's behind him, a quarterback, um, and Christian Bayou, who has not played live-action football since 2019 um, and, and and has a ways to go, I think, in being prepared to go out and win you football games in the Big Ten. It is, as Franklin said, a dicey situation when you only have three guys on scholarship at quarterback. Um, how about defensively, fellas? Uh, the, the, again, um, I, I think the, the transfer names pop up here, and, and, and they're intriguing. Sean mentions John Lovett at running back. I'm going to go to Arnold Abikati at a defensive end coming in from Temple. Adiza Isaacs, a, a guy that we circled last offseason as someone who maybe was primed for launch. Didn't quite see that happen in 2020. I, I, the expectations are in place here as a third-year sophomore that Isaac is going to be a starter and 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 turn that athletic potential and, and some of the early flashes into a, a full-scale season in that first-team role. Um, whether that happens or not, I think there's still a lot of pressure on getting this transfer to pay off. You've got Nick Tarburton, and then you've got everybody else carrying freshman eligibility and not having much experience at the college football level. Arnold Abakade comes in, and to me, if he comes in and he can, and he can add that edge, a guy who's played a lot of football at the, at the FBS level, was an all-conference player for the Temple Owls, comes in and and he and he you know kind of acquits himself well at, at a new level of football then that's a stabilizing kind of a situation. Uh, it's it's more than just a Band-Aid. I think it, it it gives you a really important buffer to get guys ready at the bottom of that depth chart and it, less of a, a less of a need to count on a Nick Tarburn as being a consistent contributor because his health status doesn't back that up right now. If Ebikedi comes in and is swallowed up in the Big Ten trenches, it doesn't pay off in the way you thought it would. I mean, that, that leaves an already precarious situation in really dire straits. And I think is going to force this staff to, to get more imaginative about using linebackers or using defensive tackles there. And we'll see where Zariah Fisher is a guy like him. We have a lot to learn about it, but this is somebody that has proven it at the FBS level. Can Arnold Evacate prove it at high level, big 10 competition.
2: Yeah. I'm going to go with Curtis Jacobs. I know we, we hit on him earlier, but, um, I thought we should have seen more of him out on the field last year. You know, when he was out there, he just looked so comfortable. You know, wasn't always in the right spot, but it, it's one of those things I think Franklin talks about it with certain players who they're going – the, the effort is there. They're going 110 miles an hour, and they just have to get it focused in. And I think the more he plays, the more zeroed in he's going to be. To me, I, I think if you look at the defense last year – I don't know how you can consider the linebacker play anything other than a disappointment, and I guess that was maybe probably destined to happen when you lose a talent like Micah Parsons. But I don't know that guy stepped up the way everybody was was kind of hoping. And I think Curtis Jacobs, when he had an opportunity to get out there, did some really good things and has a, it has a high ceiling. Not the biggest guy in the world, six one, two twenty seven, but just loved the way. He runs around out there and, and hits and, and makes plays and, and does things. So uh, this is a big spring for him. I think he has a chance to really establish himself. And uh, I, he's he's my guy. I'm sticking with him.
3: I, I think the answer to this is any safety, but we've already touched on that. So <laughs> really? I'm going to actually go with Hakeem Beeman. Um, very interesting uh, situation here where you've got a guy, you're bringing in Derek Tangelo, and and seemingly on the surface, you would say, okay, you got your starters in Mustafa and Tangelo. Um, Beeman was a third guy, fourth guy in, did on the two deep last year as a redshirt freshman, um, did some nice things, was also, you know, played like a redshirt freshman at times. I think that he can be a starter. Um, I think what's interesting here is listed at 269 pounds, I believe on the uh, on the spring depth chart, actually was one of those guys where you had to actually ask if that was a typo because he was about 289 last year. Um, so seems to have dropped a little weight. What's interesting to me about that, and, and we've talked about this before, is you got Wisconsin on the schedule week one. Is Hakeem Beeman your starter at defensive end against Wisconsin like they used to do with Kevin Gibbons? Get yourself uh, a five technique that can you know sort of play inside and out play bigger against the run. So that's the interesting thing to me. I'm not saying that they're uh, preparing Hakeem Beeman for just one game next year, but he's got enough flexibility. He's shown some good things, uh, you know, when he's been asked to do that sort of uh, that sort of, I guess we'll call it a swing role like we would on the offensive line. Um, Talented kid could start a defensive tackle could also start some games for you at end. And that is an invaluable uh, sort of uh, presence that you can have. Cause we saw how much when, after Kevin Givens left, we saw how much they missed that ability just to be flexible with him. So can Beeman be that player? We will see where he ends up in the fall, but I'm very interested to see what he's doing this spring.
2: Yeah. Sean, he was a, redshirt freshman last year he's a redshirt freshman this year as I can't well. that I can't so wait weird. till this is I can't wait until that Sean hears a thing it anymore. enough Sean Jeez. hears it enough
1: from me in about four years we'll cycle through <laughs> it Sean um yeah <laughs> Beeman was a buzzy name uh, at a preseason camp last year Um a guy that came in as a four-star defensive end moved down a defensive tackle and versatility there is gonna be interesting um One of the, the, it's kind of hard to define this one, but we've got it written down as guys entering now or never territory. It's a roundtable topic that you have thrown to us in the past, Mark, during different years. And uh, it's one that I think you can apply to a few different things. Now or never in terms of attrition where You got to find a a role for yourself on this roster or a different avenue makes sense for your career. And then there's now or never in terms of going from a a backup special teams guy to a starter. And then there's now or never in terms of going from an average college football player, a nice college football player to a guy who's going to have NFL scouts clamoring for you next spring. Now, with all that in mind, uh, I I am going to, you know, the first thing I got to go to here is Devin Ford. In that running back room, and that was you know reinforced by what we heard from Jaywan Sider, uh, Ninny Lions running backs coach on Wednesday evening during a post practice media session. It was our first time getting to talk with Jaywan since last November. And with Devin Ford, he says, Look, we talk about all the time talent is there at some point, we got to stop talking about it and point to the tangible evidence of what he's capable of doing for a sustained period playing in a Penn State uniform, and 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 Devin Ford had a, a pretty immense opportunity last year when Noah Kane goes down in, in quarter number one of game number one, um, and ultimately, he's going to be remembered for what happened in that game. It's not something that was a positive. He had some nice moments. Uh, the Rutgers game stands out to me, but he was largely absent off the field and on the sideline because of an undisclosed injury down the stretch and to me fellas when you look at a five scholarship group here at running back John Lovett now in the mix the two freshmen from last year Holmes and Lee and Noah Kane and his return looming over everything it would seem at running back uh, Ford's got to find a role for himself and and he's got to find an effective way to play at this level because he came in here with so much talent Um, A versatile college, a versatile high school football player, a top 100 prospect. And I think it was all validated. But now you just haven't seen it through two years um, come to light. And it felt like last year was the time for him to turn that corner. And it feels like this year, considering the circumstances and considering what we think Penn State will bring in recruiting wise in the 2022 class at running back. This is a a year that's going to define Devin Ford's era with, with the Penn State Nindy Lions program.
3: And that's a that's a position where if you don't if you can't catch up you're going to get left in the dust. We saw it with Ricky Slade. You could see it in a situation like Devin Ford. I mean, you you've got young guys that come in and play that position earlier than most other positions on the field. So, if you're not if you're not getting in there and you're not going with it and Ford had a tremendous opportunity did not we feel it did not make the most of it. You you know, things might happen.
2: Yeah, I'll go with uh, on the other side of the ball, Nick Tarburton. He's a guy who people are talking up a little bit, you know, this spring, but he's been bumped up for most of his career. I don't know how many different injuries he's had, uh, but somebody they moved from linebacker to defensive end. It seems like he's found a home at defensive end. As was noted earlier, uh, you know, there's the opportunity to for for people to gain playing time there at defensive end. And if he's unable to do it this year to really establish himself, maybe not as a starter, but as a rotational guy, you know, I think it's going to be difficult for him, you know, moving forward. So, you know, Nick and I feel bad. Uh, because I do think injuries have really slowed him down to this point, but sooner or later, you really have to step up and seize the moment. And I think this spring is it for him.
3: Yeah. I think that's far from an opinion on, on Tar in terms of injuries have slowed him down. He he's been glass basically. He's just yeah. has, it's been one thing after another. And it's been unfortunate because you thought you had some potential, whether that was a linebacker, a defensive end, even a defensive tackle. So, uh, you, you hate to see it play out that way, but that's kind of the reality of college football. I got a list here of guys. Um, I don't want to spend too much time because we don't like to dwell on the now or nevers, but uh, Daniel George is a guy that's had some tremendous off seasons season comes in and all of a sudden he, he kind of goes away. He hasn't been able to uh, catch the ball consistently. So you look at that wide receiver depth chart, there's some younger guys ahead of him already. And, you know, if he wants to establish himself and, um, stay in that mix. He's got to so, certainly do that. Uh, Dez Holmes is a little bit different story. We talked about Eric Wilson's coming uh, earlier. Is Des, I think the question here with Dez Holmes is not really now or never, but is he going to be a starter? Is he going to be a depth guy? Is he going to be a backup? And that's something that will work itself out in the next year or two, but uh, he, he's got a chance to start at left guard. So that's a, a big opportunity for him. Kind of the same for Fred Hansard. Is he, is he going to be a starter eventually? Uh, it's hard to say, especially with the guy's, uh, that are younger than him in front of him on the depth chart, but how much of a depth guy can be, uh, can he be, how much of an impact guy can he be? If Southern, if Jonathan Sutherland doesn't win the safety job, that's certainly something that you, that you look for. He's obviously been a big contributor on special teams, but uh, sort of another now or never situation. And then I look at the corner room. Uh, it's interesting to me. It's so, it's so deep there. You've got guys there that have played a lot of football for Penn state, Tariq Castro-Fields, you know, could be one of those guys if he has more injuries, could be a a now or never situation. Marquise Wilson's also in that group where you thought he was ready to take that step last year, didn't end up doing that. So, I mean, you've got guys like Kalen King that have impressed already. So that's that's one of those situations like running back where if you're not making the most of your opportunity, you might be left out in the cold there.
1: And just and just thinking about guys, toward the end of their eligibility, Three Castro fields last year felt like a, a big chance for him to to make a jump on NFL prospect boards. a lot of uh, you know praise coming his way from Terry Smith. Uh, maybe being that, that 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 first round level kind of cornerback talent, things fell apart rapidly with the injury. Um, you know, this is a moment for him. He made the decision for a reason to come back to Penn State, seize the opportunity. He's got to go beat out some younger players for that job, and then he's got to go play at a high level. But this is his last shot to really make that case for NFL consideration in, in that top tier And the most obvious now or never would probably be Sean Clifford at quarterback. And he's got two years of eligibility left, but if it doesn't go well this year, I can't see him being the guy or maybe being on campus in 2022. Um, And one other name that I I would throw in there too, is, is we're bouncing a bunch of them off. Well, two, two names I'm pairing together Lackawanna college products on offense, Anthony Wigan at guard, Sean and Norval black at wide receiver. I see the influx of younger players. I, I see the conversation that, that's taking place about those spots on the field, wide receiver, interior, offensive line. They're at risk to me uh, if they don't step up this spring and into the summer of getting buried to the point of you know near irrelevancy on the roster.
2: Yeah, I would throw out two other guys. I know that this is uh we're hitting them hard today. <laughs> we're, we're hitting them hard. <laughs> and today. another thing. Yeah, it's like, yeah, exactly. It's like Festivus, the airing of the grievances. <laughs> I, I think that you know, in a way, I think uh Ellis Brooks and Luceda, you know, you know, both of those guys were okay last year. I think they need more out of both of those guys. Now, is there enough talent behind them to push both of them? Are to, to be worried about starting spots. I think maybe one of them. Uh, but I, I think it's imperative for both of those guys to really step up. Maybe not a classic, you know, now or never. But in terms of, uh, you know, being just more consistent, dependable, sure tacklers, covering guys, doing what they need to do, I think they need more out of both of those guys. Uh, well, we've officially uh, put like 20 guys in this game. You're all on notice. Oh, <laughs> uh, well.
1: Uh, we could bounce that out with a, with something positive here. I, I mean, does anyone else have anything to offer up? We're we're in mid March. We're not going to get to go stand on the practice field. We may not get a chance to go into Beaver Stadium this April to see the team play. I mean, your photos were a big help, Mark, and you got some some you know some interaction there and in, and measuring these guys up a bit. But to me, it's such a difficult task in figuring out what you have from personnel standpoint, uh, from, from a general football, a cohesive football team standpoint, because we have been so absent and so sidelined by the whole process of, of COVID protocols. I mean, you got to go all the way back to Dallas in December of 2019, the last time you really felt like you had your head wrapped around what this team is.
2: Well, I'll put my my salesman hat on and say – that's what makes being a, a, a VIP member of Lions 247 with Fight on State uh, so important. We have guys who are plugged in like Sean. We all try to keep our ears to the ground. And uh, listen, it, it, it stinks that we're not able to cover stuff in person, but I would rather they get it all right now and that we're able to actually cover preseason practice. And we can cover actual games the way we're used to covering games, not being up in a, uh, you know, socially distanced and boxed meals and, you know, everybody wearing masks and stuff. So hopefully everything that we're dealing with and not dealing with now, hopefully by the preseason, they're able to do this the right way. And we're able to do, you know, all the different things we do. But honest to goodness, you know, I, I do think I, I want to do say one thing. I want to thank all of the Penn State fans out there and all the people on our site, because as difficult as this last year has been, our site has really been doing well. And, and that's a testament, you know, I think to you guys and the work that you do, maybe to all of us a little bit. But it's more of a testament to the fans being that plugged in to this program and wanting all the information. So this is the place to be. And we are going to still be covering stuff, whether we have access or not, but we're really hoping to get more access come the preseason. So that's my salesman hat. Sorry.
1: Amen. And Sean, I know you are urgent to get to an upcoming matter. So we'll let you do that. I am about to set my email on vacation reply. I will be out of the picture through next week. So I'll check in with you back in uh, the the final days of March. Sean will have us, Covered with Navigating the Podcast. In the meantime, up on the site, Mark and Sean will have you covered as well. Um, on behalf of Mark Brennan and Sean Fitz, got your basketball, fill, your football, fill. I'm Tyler Donahue. We'll catch up with you later right here on the Lions 24-7 Podcast.
0: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it.